Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. There have been so many times where I've had an idea and I'm like, I should do that. You know, life gets in the way, something else gets in the way. The difference between that and where I am now is I just pushed myself to go do it and made the time. And, you know, if you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, take advantage of it. Hello and welcome to season three of The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 121. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Life Weekly Workshops. Your opportunity to join a group of doc filmmakers such as yourself for two and a half hours and engage in a workshop led by yours truly. To see the full roster of this month's workshops, go to thedocumentarylife.com slash workshops. First off, I hope that all of your holidays went well. They probably already seem like a distant memory as we're well into January. That being said, I think it's important that this is not only the start of a new season of the podcast, but it's also the start of a new year. Hell, a new decade even. Welcome to 2020, Doc Lifer. How's it going so far? I hope well. Just last week, I finished up a crazy insane three weeks back on the west coast of the, of the U.S., working on a big job that I do every year. As is the case with this annual job, I shot in many different cities up and down the West Coast in just a handful of days. L.A., Phoenix, Seattle, Portland, to name a few of the stops. Then I spent most of the rest of the time putting the videos together for a big annual conference for a well-known, rather big company who's based out of Portland, Oregon. It's always a great time to get back and visit Portland, a town I spent nearly half of my life in, and, and certainly all of my professional life in. I still have many industry contacts, colleagues, good friends. I still have great affection for this town, and I'm sure I'll, I always will. It's where I learned so much about myself and so much about filmmaking. And so while it's always really great to get a big job to start out the new year, the downside is that I really spend nearly all of my waking hours on the job, either shooting, traveling, or editing, sometimes the last two at the same time. It really leaves very little time to properly catch up with any friends. I usually end up seeing one or two close friends and then whomever's house that I crash at while I'm in Portland. But one thing it does afford me is some time to think about my past year and the year that is ahead. Plenty of time in airports and in the air for contemplation and meditation. Even more so because I'm away from my own routine and distractions. The podcast, the film, and, and the family. I had even more time for this kind of rumination since I was coming to the States from Cambodia this time out. So instead of zoning out to hours of movies, I spent my time catching up on some much-needed sleep and thinking about my upcoming year. My doc life, if you will. As anyone who's been listening to this show over the past year knows, Steph and I relocated to Cambodia last summer in an effort to double down on finishing our film. We'd spent bits of six years already working on it, and we really just wanted to make a concerted effort to finally get Elvis of Cambodia done. 
when we arrived in early August, our initial goal was to have the film finished by March of 2020 so that we could premiere here in Cambodia and then go on a Cambodian screening tour. Well, as is often the case in our doc lives, life happens. Shit happens, right? Which always affects our films, always affects our doc lives. A number of circumstances has led us to push the film a bit later in the year. Mostly good circumstances that will be better for the film, but but yeah, we've had some wins this year, and we've also taken a few hits. In terms of wins, we were able to receive a nice corporate sponsorship. We've made more connections surrounding the film, and we've certainly gotten some more filming in, and the edit's in a place that it's never been in. Truth be told, we now have a story in a way that we never have before, which includes recent significant developments in our storyline that we wouldn't have been able to film if not for being here in Cambodia. We also received a grant from the U.S. Embassy for a small Cambodian tour once the film is finished, and we ran a successful smaller crowdfund for animation in our film. In terms of hits... We've not yet secured additional sponsorships, which I think we assumed we would have had by now. Juggling the film, the podcast, and the family, it's definitely put a strain on finances and family, including family relationships abroad, among other things. Steph and I have barely had a moment to properly maintain friendships and family relationships back in the U.S. and the U.K., Our health has been up and down, and I do mean both physical and mental health. Without getting too personal, this film has most certainly taken its toll on our lives. There's simply no way to sugarcoat this. Now, I'll bet that some of this may resonate with some of you. You may either be experiencing some similar frustrations with your own doc lives or have in the past. That is to say, What I have described is something that most of us experience or have experienced as documentary filmmakers. And sometimes this whole experience can be so frustrating, maybe even harrowing, that we may feel like, dare I say, walking away from it all. Look, the truth is, documentary filmmaking can become all-consuming. It can burn you out. And something that I came to realize on my flights and during my time away from the film and from the family that I really want to share with you is this. Doc filmmaking is often not a linear experience. There is no straight path to success, just as there is often no simple straight path to the story of your documentary. There are many twists and turns, many rises and dips in the road, right? This is all part and parcel to our doc projects and our doc lives. And for me, there is some comfort in knowing this, knowing that I am not alone in these experiences. And we all know that doc filmmaking can be a very solitary, sometimes lonely experience, right? And so even more than simply knowing this, but embracing this kind of roller coaster ride can really help right the ship. Look, If any of you needs any more proof of this, all that you have to do is go back and listen to nearly any of my conversations with doc filmmakers, often ones that appear to us to be very successful, by the way, in their doc filmmaking and doc living, and you will hear a commonality in the great doc struggle. There are challenges and struggles and emotions that so, so many of us have in common. And you know what? Not only does this comfort me, but it actually inspires me. 
And it makes me even more determined than ever to finish our film in 2020, to get this film finished and to start presenting it to the world. And I think that you might consider this as well. In fact, I have an idea. Why don't we all, as Doc Lifers, collectively make an agreement to one another to make this our year? Let's make 2020 the start of a decade that we can look back on as the year that we made a commitment to our Doc Lives. The year that transformed our Doc Lives in an undeniable fashion. It's the year where some of us finished films that we've been working on for a long time, but for one reason or another, hadn't quite been able to finish. It's the year that some of us took the leap to begin work on the first of what would become many documentary films. It's the year when we doubled our energies, doubled our output, doubled our doc budgets, our incomes, whatever we wanted. It's the year that we doubled down on our doc lives. What do you think? Can we do this? Can you do this? I think that you can. Let's all make this the year that it happens. Let's make 2020 our breakthrough year. I don't mean to sound cheesy here, but I'm going to sound cheesy here, okay? Let's make 2020 the year of your doc life. Now, next up on the show, appropriately, we're going to have a discussion with a doc filmmaker who many of you know from either here on the show or from the TDL Community Facebook group. He is someone that is literally one of us. I believe that this is the first time we've had someone come up from the ranks of TDL listenership to a finished film that is now, this month, going to be played as a proud selection of the Slamdance Film Festival. His name is Josh Davidsberg, and I can guarantee you that this conversation will be the perfect way to <clears throat> double down on our commitments to making 2020 our breakthrough year. Thanks for tuning in to Season 3 of The Documentary Life. It's good to be back, Doc Lifer. Over the past couple of months, we've been receiving emails, we've been active on the TDL Community Facebook group, and we've been having one-on-one -on -one conversations with you. And I'm happy to say that once again, Doc Lifer, we have heard you. A few days ago, we began our weekly live workshops, and it was with going solo with your documentary filmmaking. It was a great turnout where we learned a lot about one another's doc projects, and we learned how to take our solo doc filmmaking to the next level. Our next workshop, Documentary Filmmakers Crowdfunding 101, will be held this coming Wednesday, January 15th. If you've been looking to run a crowdfund this year, I can promise you, you'll want to take this workshop. I will help you not only to raise funding for your film, but also to build a sustainable audience for this and future films. Our workshops are held in a live interactive setting where you have an opportunity to engage with other doc filmmakers, engage directly with me, and learn how to transform your documentary filmmaking to a place you've long been wanting to get to. To get signed up for Documentary Filmmakers Crowdfunding 101 or to see how any of our other weekly workshops might transform your doc filmmaking this year, you can visit thedocumentarylife.com workshops. Secure your spot in a workshop today. Registration is happening now at thedocumentarylife.com slash workshops.
Josh Davidsberg is an award-winning journalist and filmmaker. When he doesn't have a camera in his hand, he's teaching full-time as a lecturer at the University of Maryland College Park, Philip Merrill College of Journalism. After working for more than a decade as a television news reporter, he decided to expand into long-form documentary storytelling. He's produced documentary shorts, seen at film festivals across the country, and speaking of film festivals, this is precisely where Josh has been recently, showing his first documentary feature, Queen of the Capitol. I should also mention that Josh has been a longtime listener of the program, and so this is a first for sorts for us where, where we've kind of come full circle with somebody who's listened to the, listened to the show at, at early on in, in, in the inception of the show, and, and they've produced their documentary during that time and now uh, are bearing the fruits of that labor with this film festival success. Josh Davidsberg, welcome to the documentary life, man. Really proud and, and happy to have you here. Chris, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I found you guys at the exact right time because I just kind of wrapped up the production of it and uh, I had to raise money because I had done everything else out of pocket. So I found you guys and you guys set me on the right path and helped me do a, cr- a crowdfunding campaign through Seed and Spark and uh, it was incredible. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am without you. Wow. Wow. I, I really appreciate those kind words. And we'll get into some of those very topics. It's as if you're reading my notes. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're sympathetic. Though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Since the time you had be, you've become, you know, not only an avid listener of the program, you've also been a very a key and active member of the TDL community Facebook. I want to thank you for, for that. And I know a number of our listeners will be thanking, for, thanking you for that as well. You've also completed your first doc feature, Queen of the Capital, which we will get to. And you've also recently become a dad. I feel like I've been witness to the making and living of a true doc life, Josh. How has this been for you? <laughs> it, well, it's been incredible. I mean, I feel like we're close friends at this point. You're like, yeah. I, you know, I listen to the show all the time. We've communicated and Right. And the community on Facebook is incredible. I mean, mm. I've gotten out of it as much as I've put into it. It's yeah. such a great group of people that that just share ideas and you know fill in the gaps that maybe the podcast doesn't cover or have time to cover that the Facebook community really is is there for us. I you know I also I participate a little bit on the filmmaker Reddit subreddit the quality of the comments on the Facebook group and the quality of the people. I mean, there's just, there, there's no comparison. Everybody is mm. so helpful. And, um, maybe it's, maybe it's because we're not anonymous on Facebook, but I think it's yeah, also the right. culture that you helped grow. I appreciate that. I appreciate those kind words. Uh, and maybe in this case, it is truly quality over quantity. I don't know. <laughs> Although we'd like to see the quantity go up, certainly in our, in our, both, uh, both our listenership as well as the community Facebook group. So it's great to have you on, on the show, Josh. And, and I didn't realize that <clears throat> you had actually gone through production and you were set to go into post-production and, uh, uh, and, crowd, and a crowdfunding campaign. And that's, that's about the time you found us. So in a way, we could start with a, a bit of a discussion about that crowdfund campaign. Sure. I'd love to hear how we may or may not have helped you and what your overall strategy for the, for the crowdfund campaign was. So, I mean, I, when I say I had no idea what to do and you guys set me on the right path, I truly mean that because I, I came from TV news. Yeah. I 
you know, as a reporter, I always had, I always had a budget or a station that, you know, if I had an idea and it needed money, I could just go to them. Um, even though, you know, <laughs> pockets got tighter and tighter and tighter and maybe I couldn't go to them. Maybe they would just tell me no, but I never had to reach into my own pocket or ask mm-hmm. other people for money. And mm-hmm. so I had no idea what to do. And I, I think I may have tweeted at you or sent you an email or something and you recommended a few episodes of the documentary oh. life podcast and i listened okay. to those and i remember like one of the things that popped into my head was like how to get social media ready and make gifts and like do this kind of stuff and yeah um, that helped me plan out the crowdfunding campaign and okay. then on top of that right around the same time you had um i can't remember his name but the guy who wrote the book crowdfunding for filmmakers ah john trigonis yeah yes and i ran out i bought that book and that helped me kind of finalize my plans for crowdfunding okay Uh, and you also had the seed and spark people on around the same time i believe as well right and so right right that helped me decide to go with seed and spark and everything just kind of came together and we had a successful crowdfunding campaign we raised uh around seventeen thousand dollars and a couple other, uh, we raised a little more money through our fiscal sponsor. So overall, we raised about twenty grand, pretty much, you know, with your direction. Wow. Yeah, and I, awesome. I imagine you were also now having just seen Queen of the Capital. I imagine you were also in some ways inspired by some of the material in your own film, where fundraising right for charity is is a big part of 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 some of the the characters in your film did that inform you or inspire you in any way when you did your own crowd crowdfund on your film i so the group that that i followed the imperial court of washington dc they're a 501c3 and like you said their whole job is to raise money for charity mm. um i kind of wanted to keep that separate just you know I wondered, the, yeah. the journalist in me um, they ended up doing a little. Uh, I, they ended up doing a fundraising campaign, not a fundraising campaign, but they ended up doing a fundraising event for us event, at the very yeah. end. Um, after I had shown it to them and we had final cut and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for the most part, I tried to keep it somewhat separate because it's it's tough. The journalist in me doesn't want to take any money from the people that I'm doing the documentary for. Yes, but when you're right. doing crowdfunding, I mean, that's you can't really control that anyway. Well, let's back up for a second and talk about the journalist in sure. you. You come from a journalist background, don't you? It's in your family, is it not? I do. My dad was a reporter. He worked for NBC. He covered Vietnam. He covered um, the Six-Day War in Israel. He yeah. covered uh, the Kent State shooting. Um, and then when he met my mom, he moved down to local news and had been yeah. in Baltimore for most of his career. And then... I, since I was young, I wanted to be either a journalist or a director, and yeah. I have the access to journalism, so I went into, uh, I went to University of Maryland for a journalism school, graduated, uh, got a job as a TV reporter out in Salisbury, Maryland, worked out there, worked in Fort Myers, Florida, worked back in Baltimore at WBAL in Baltimore, and um, eventually... The market fell out. I got a job in PR. I had never right. shot any of my own stories. I kind of <sighs> missed that whole one-man band uh, wave. Ah, wow. 
But when I got a job in PR, I hated writing press releases. So I borrowed a <laughs> camera. I took it to an event. I shot a video of the event and they loved it. They'd never uh-huh. seen anything like it before. <laughs> and they just, they kept, you know, they kept having me do that. And eventually, eventually I got the job teaching and I'm, I teach full time at the University of Maryland. And um, that gives me the opportunity to do what I really wanted to do, which is mix the journalism and the directing and shoot a documentary. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. It, 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 it's a great way in some ways to to run a doc life is to have a career uh, as a teacher right in the field. And then, you know, during your, I suppose, maybe summers off, if you have summers off, you can go out and be working on your own projects. Or at least that's the fantasy that I've had in my head of, of how that might work. I've, I've I, often thought of that. I really lucked out. I mean, I, I feel bad talking about it because it's, it's such a <laughs> It's, I feel like I have like the perfect situation where, you know, I'm teaching a couple days a week, but it's full time and they want yeah. me to do journalism on the side yeah. as part of my job. It counts as my research. And so yeah. that's what the kind of that's what the documentary fit into. So back to Queen of the Capitol. How did you first come across this idea for the doc? At the University of Maryland, I teach a class that's intro to multimedia and it's master students in the summer at, at the end of the class. They have to turn in a mini documentary Mm. and it has to be kind of like a character study. They have to find a very interesting person to do like a two to three minute uh, micro doc on. Mm. And one of my students was at Pride and saw Muffy and saw Muffy's hair, giant (laughs) drag queen hair and marched right up to her and said, I'm doing a documentary on you. And so she did the first a first little mini documentary on Muffy in my class. I was talking to my students after class one day and they asked me what I wanted to do with my career and my life. And I said, I've always wanted to do a full feature documentary. Brandy said, why don't we do it on Muffy? And so she's a, a co-producer on it. Oh, yeah. I did not know this. Fantastic. Yeah. I pulled in so two other students to help as well. Wow. This is sounding even better and better, Josh. So you're working in academia and you're stealing awesome ideas from your <laughs> students to make your docs. Right. I love this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not stealing. I'm giving them, you know, credit on the on the picture as well. So. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> there's definitely a good exchange here. There, there's a quid pro quo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. What was it about what was it about uh, Muffy and her story that drew you in? So, we met with her right after Brandy kind of pitched the idea and I liked it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to just do a documentary about drag queens because that's yeah. done before. Right. So, when we met with Muffy, she explained the Imperial Court. She explained mm. this group that it's a philanthropic group. Their whole job is you know, the whole, their whole purpose is to use drag to raise money for charity and do good things in the community. And they do it with this, uh, this like pomp and circumstance. And, um, you know, uh, they have these giant events where they all kind of almost like Disney princesses, the way that they dress up gowns to the floor, (laughs) hair to the ceiling is, is their, their tagline. So she told me about that. She told me about the history of drag in DC I knew that I, I wanted to do a documentary about that because I love the fact that they're giving back to the community, that I'm yeah. able to profile the court, give a little history, and then also show some of the nonprofits that work in, uh, in the district as well that, that right. are important to them. Okay, come on, girls. I don't even think about it, like, because I drive with my wigs, seat belted in, 
you'll see kids looking through the windows and making faces at the wigs that are on the back side. Muffy is known for the big hair. They're, my largest hair that I currently have is uh, 36 inches tall, and it's 64 inches in circumference around me. When I travel the country on the circuit, I actually get some, some trouble from some if I show up, though, without the big hair. When did you first start thinking about who an audience might be for your film? You, you kind of have to start thinking about that from the beginning, right? I mean, you sure do. It's it's tough because you want to say that this film, you, you want everybody to see your film, right? I want everybody mm-hmm. to see my documentary. I want everybody mm-hmm. to love it. Um, but you do have to focus. And so, you know, I thought the best people to kind of focus in are um, mid twenty five to forty five adult uh, people who not only live in the the District of Columbia, but are interested in Washington, D.C., that um, are, you know, allies to the LGBTQ community, Um, somebody that that might be interested in history, but also, you know, loves a good character documentary as well. So that was kind of as focused as I wanted to get. But at the same time, like, I, you know, everybody wants to make their documentary for everybody. Yeah, right. You want everybody to see your film, of course. Right. right. Can you share with us some lessons, some of the maybe the, the bigger lessons that you learned through your journey with Queen? And it, and it can be every from the from story inception to production to crowdfunding to post film sure. festivals, whatever it is. Can you share some of the bigger lessons that you learned uh, that you would love somebody else to not have to learn sort of the hard way, if you will? Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that looking back on how I filmed it, I probably would have done differently if I'd known a little more about it is really study up on fair use. And that includes talking to a lawyer about it because drag queens lip sync. So (laughs) I figured, yeah, I figured I wouldn't be able to use any of their performances. And if I was going to use their performance, I'd have to cover it up with other music. And, and I really should have talked to a lawyer earlier on. Because I was still, I was able to shoot it and use the performances, but I probably would have shot them a little differently. Like maybe done multi-camera shoot shoots, and done it a little more like a performance than shooting it to edit. Um, because, uh. yeah, what was explained to me was that I could use anything that was kind of, kind of raw and recorded in the moment, right? Okay. But yeah. the minute I started editing to the beats and using you know, the background music as a sync track, yeah. then it, it starts to fall out of the fair use. Becomes problematic, label. doesn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. yeah. But yeah. If, if you have multiple cameras and you're switching back and forth between the cameras and it's all kind of, not one take, but, you know, one re- long recording, that would, that would under my understanding, and I preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer, but that would work, that that should fall under fair use. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. Was there discussion in terms of fair use about, uh, I mean, I, I imagine, of course, there was, but I'm curious if you can share a part of that discussion in terms of length of time, maybe we would hear a song or see the performance on, on screen. How so, um, how conscious were you of that, at, at you know, throughout? So my lawyer actually told me that there isn't like a length of time, that it's really, you know, there's a there's another process of steps you have to go through. Um, but length of time isn't something that that's something that a lot of people talk about, but yeah. really that that isn't a factor. That and that's something because yeah, you can't really define that. You can't say, well, as long as you don't go over five seconds, you're fine. It's right. It's not like that at all. Right. 
So another, another thing that I would recommend is talk to a lawyer early and try and see if the lawyer will work for you pro bono. Lawyers mm. know that us documentary filmmakers don't make a lot of money. And if you find a lawyer that's really interested in your subject, yeah. uh, they might do it pro bono. And I, I lucked out. We found our lawyer is fantastic. And uh, he's been doing it pro bono for us. So share, share some other lessons that you learned along the way in your journey with Queen of the Capital. So another thing is I wouldn't start submitting your film. So I'd, I'd read, I'd read, start submitting your film as soon as you have a producer's cut. It doesn't matter if you, if it's sync track, if you have sync tracks and, um, uh, you know, if the color's off and all that kind of stuff, start mm. submitting it early. Mm. But what I found is we had no luck for the first six months when we were submitting the the early, not early cuts because it was finished edited cut, but it wasn't, we didn't have the music. There was still, you know, there was still watermarks in the music and the color was, was off, off and some of the, some of the B-roll interviews, we didn't, we didn't cover up as much as we should have, but the storyline, it's the exact same storyline. The second we started submitting the completely finished film, yeah. then we started getting some, uh, getting into film festivals. And so I probably would have waited and saved some money by not submitting as early as we did. Well, it's interesting that you would bring that up, Josh, because I do, I do hear that from a number of doc lifers and I've seen people post, uh, questions about that on the community Facebook group. And I always try to tend to shy people away from, rushing your your submissions or having a cut that maybe is a little bit earlier uh, than you would like to submit it um, because I've I've as much as other people have told me exactly what you said which is get it in early if you can right uh, it's I have found and I've also heard this from other people in the industry that it's actually conversely it can cause you a, a, a bigger problem because if you don't submit a cut that, is close enough to completion that you're going to feel strongly about. Uh, you risk not only that film not being, you know, you know, entered into that particular, being accepted into, into right. a particular film festival, but it's not like you have another chance to then submit the cut. Say, oh, wait, 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 here's a better cut now. You know, even even if you wait a year later, the chances that they will even look at your film go down drastically. And I've gotten this in particular straight from Lyndon Stone, you know, the director of, of Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. He's like, look, the first time we watch a film, yes, of course, we'll accept a, a submission the next year round, but the, but the opportunity to be quite frank for most film filmmakers, the opportunity has gone away because once we right. know your project, once we've seen it, that's in our heads and we can't, we can't really lose that. And, and, and we only have so much time to go through films as it is. So we don't have, you know, film festival programmers don't have the time to sit down and watch films. And then essentially, you know, <laughs> they don't essentially have time to watch your rough cut and then the next year watch your fine cut and then the next year right. watch your final cut and say, okay, yeah, it's good enough for submission. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel like there definitely have been some misconceptions about that. Well, and if you think about it, there are a ton of documentaries out there being, you know, being entered into these film festivals. Yeah. Our, our rejection letter from Sundance said mm. they had 14,000 projects that, and that includes <laughs> shorts and stuff, but I mean, that's incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> the numbers are, are mind-boggling. And that's it up is. from... If you if you received a letter this past year that said 14,000, I think it was only two years ago that it was like 10,000. So right. it's 
yeah, it's it, it's too much. <laughs> Quite right. frankly, it's a bit too much. So a big, thematically a big part of your film is this idea of community and the importance of community. And we've even mentioned here on the program in this particular episode, you know, our own community, the doc filmmaking community and the Facebook community. What did you learn about community while filming a community, if that makes sense? So uh, one uh, a thing that was really interesting about the Imperial Court is they are kind of, they're like a subculture of a subculture of a subculture. You know, <laughs> they're not your stereotypical drag queens, right? These are drag queens that, um, that the reason that they do drag is to give back to the community. Uh, and so community was an incredibly important part of the filming. And so, Mm. you know, we, we kind of came up with a list of, of kind of key words that we wanted to focus in on while we were filming. We got this Mm. idea from, um, there's a production group out in Portland called Still Motion. Have you ever heard of them? Of course. Oh yeah. Okay. Of course. I've worked with those guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they have this pre-production uh, technique that they call Muse, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Muse and, storytelling. That's right. 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 And it's um, they want you to come up with five keywords. And I had done one of their workshops a long time ago when they came through oh, the DC area. Great. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, so my background, I love tutorials. I will yeah. soak up any tutorial that you put in front of me, whether it's <laughs> motion graphics on lynda.com or yeah. my wife gave me the, uh, the Ken Burns masterclass. So like I will watch any document, any tutorial. And if it has to do with video production, then I'm all in. And so You're back, all in, right. Yeah. So like back when I first started learning how to shoot video, I watched a ton of the uh, still motion tutorials. Mm. And um, one of the things that stuck with me in pre-production was trying to come up with five keywords to focus our production. And community was one of those keywords. Mm. Uh, Family was another one. So uh, community was incredibly important. And the community kind of rallied behind us. They opened their doors to us. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. And, you know, they like to joke that you put a camera in front of a drag queen, of course, they're going to open everything up. But uh, but they really went above and beyond. I'm very much definitely a, a believer of the Christian faith. It has my own twists and turns to it as well. One of the things I remember as a kid, just being adamantly opposed to, that I heard always preached from the pulpit, was that if you hadn't been baptized a Christian, you were going to hell. And that just didn't make any sense to me. Those kind of twists that I think definitely do play into my act that I have. The version that I put on of the Christian is a, um, a satirical version of everything that I didn't like about the Christianity that I was taught as a kid, as opposed to what I believe personally. You are in the midst of your film festival 
run right now. And it's so interesting for me to hear that you went six months without having much success because now it seems like every other day when I check in on social media, <laughs> I feel like I'm seeing a new festival that you guys are playing. Uh, what do you attribute to that success? And really, what was your overall film festival plan? Well, so our plan was to do the general film festivals in the, the spring and then kind of focus in on the LGBTQ film festivals in the fall. Mm. Um, and we kind of stuck by that plan. But I had, you know, I had thought that if we started to enter the producer's cut, that that's the one that that would kind of get us in in the door. And mm. it really didn't happen that way. It was it was, you know, once we we finished the final cut of the film, then we started getting the callbacks. And it may have been also because we were a little more targeted in our film festival submissions. You know, mm. these were the LGBTQ film festivals. This is the the niche that our film kind of fits in. But we didn't only get into LGBTQ film festivals this fall. Mm. We're showing at the Virginia Film Festival at the end of the month. Yeah. Uh, we were just at the Chesapeake Film Festival. Um, yeah, and it's, right. it's been interesting to watch the film in these different environments because uh, we, sh we played at Palm Springs at uh, Cinema Diverse um, a couple weeks ago. And there were people who had been members of the court in uh, Waco, Texas and other, other chapters, wow, yeah. you know, that, that were in Palm Springs and, and they came to see the film. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh, as you move forward now and really, really embrace sort of just the idea of distribution, what are your hopes for distribution with queen of the Capitol? Yeah. So my dream is that as many people see it as possible. So I would love to get it on a platform like Hulu or Netflix or something like that. Um, we're actually, we just signed with a producer's rep who really liked the film. So I'm hoping he'll be able to take it to some distributors and, and uh, really get the ball moving that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that was another thing coming from TV news that I really, I, I didn't know what I was doing until I started listening to the podcast. And <laughs> now I have a much better idea, but you know, with your first film, do you ever really know exactly what right. you're supposed to be doing? Right. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> I think that's the case for most of us. <laughs> right. I'm still walking through the dark. You gave me the headlamp, but... <laughs> Glad to hear that. <laughs> I hope we can use that for a testimonial on the yeah, site. That's brilliant. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Now there has been another recent uh, addition to your to, to to your doc life, if you will. You you are a recent daddy. What has been? What's that been like for you, Josh? And and how do you see this affecting your doc life? Well, up until you know, up until three months ago, the documentary was my baby. Now I have a, yeah. a real baby to focus on. Yeah. Um, it's it's been amazing. I I took her to the Chesapeake Film Festival last week, wow. and wow. it was it was awesome to be able to spend that daddy daughter time, even though she doesn't really understand it yet. Yeah, um, I didn't yeah, bring yeah. her into the film. My mom met us there to babysit, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's been an incredible couple months. We had we had our premiere in Washington D.C., and then a, a couple days before that, um, my daughter was born. Yes, it, that's right. Two premieres at once. I actually had to miss my premiere because she came a couple days before, which... Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure people understood, Josh. Oh, I shot a little <laughs> intro video uh, saying where I was in the hospital, and I yeah. and they showed it before the film. It was either before the film or after the film, so it was perfect. Yeah, it was great. It is. That's great. I love, I love to hear that, Josh. Well, you know... 
Josh, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, one of the things I, I'd love to know if you have, because you've been a listener of the program, you have a really good idea who our audience is. You are a doc, true doc life for yourself. What is something you would like to, you know, do you have any inspiration or any words of wisdom, if you will, that you can impart that you would want somebody to know who maybe is in the shoes that you were in, you know, a handful of years ago, maybe they're working, starting work on their first documentary. What would you say to them, Josh? Well, I'd, I'd like to talk to the, the people that have that idea and maybe haven't started yet. Uh, we all have these ideas all the time. The difference between where I am and where they are is you just have to do it. You know, like just go out, start shooting. Like you talk all the time about how we have these amazing cameras in our pocket. Um, mm. You know, you talk on them all the time, right? Our cell phones mm. are amazing cameras. Uh, even now, I mean, that the iPhone, the iPhone 11 with the three cameras blows me away. Right. Um, but just go out and start shooting. And even if it's not what you're going to use for your final film, you know, so my first documentary short that I got into a film festival was uh, a buddy of mine had this idea. There's this high wheel bike race in Fredericksburg, Maryland, where <laughs> it's amazing. It's like the most hipster thing you've ever seen. Right. Uh, Charles yeah. told you I have flashbacks of Portland. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say Portland. Yeah. Um, and he my buddy was like, we should just go go shoot it. And so I contacted the organizer and we went out and. Uh, we're both from news, so it, yeah. I wouldn't say it was like real, you know, cinematic documentary, but we kind of went out the night before, got them kind of setting everything up and went out the next day and uh, put together a documentary short. I entered it in the DC Shorts Film Festival on a whim and it yeah. got in. And then, <laughs> yeah, there are all these other film festivals out there. We got contacted by bike film festivals to have our... Oh. Oh, that does awesome. not surprise me at all. Oh my God, right. Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like Kalamazoo, I think, was another one. But that was just something we had this idea and we just did it. And there's so, yeah. been so many times where I've had an idea and I'm like, I should do that. You know, life gets in the way, something else gets in the way. Mm. But the difference between that and where I am now is I just pushed myself to go do it and made the time and, you know, so that's my, my piece of advice. If you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, take advantage of it. We've been speaking with Doc Lifer Josh Davidsberg. His film is Queen of the Capital. As soon as you know where we can start seeing this film, Josh, do let us know. That way we can sure. post up in the show notes. In the meantime, you have a website that they can go to, correct? Yes, queenofthecapital.com. Excellent. Josh, what an absolute pleasure. Uh, it was it's fascinating to have met you a few years ago and to see you know where you've come along on this journey and I feel like I've been a part of that journey as well. I feel that way too. And I'm so appreciative of it and I'm really proud of the work that you've done, man. Congratulations. Thanks, Chris. Good talking to you again. Don't forget, if you like our show and you want to transform your documentary filmmaking this year, we'd love to have you join us in one of our workshops. Check out our current roster by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash workshops. See you next time, Doc Lifer. Doc Lifer.